out of a series here called Fresh Start. We're kind of in the middle of it now, and so I want to walk you through where we are here pretty soon. But I am so excited for this past weekend and what God did here in this place. We had a marriage conference that began on Friday night and was throughout the day yesterday until about 3 or 3.30. And we had about 40 couples here gathered together, hearing the truth about how to live out this new relationship in Jesus Christ. How to put the vertical first in your marriage and see it lived out on the horizontal. How to see the power of the resurrection come alive in couples today and know that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead has the power to bring hope and life to your marriage no matter where it is today. Amen? Amen. So, hey, if you were, um, if you were part of the team of couples that helped put together this past weekend's uh, marriage conference. Would you stand for just a moment? We had a team that put this together. Jamie led the team, and all of these couples right here were part of that. Give them a hand. And y'all remain standing. If you were here and part of the marriage conference, would you stand this morning? Yeah. You see it? Yeah, give them a hand. Thank you. You may be seated. Here at Vertical Church, we are committed to the family, to marriage, and for there to be healing, reconciliation, and health in marriages. So I'm grateful for this past weekend and what we saw God do in our midst. All right, so in our Fresh Start series, we are in the book of Acts, chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you want to turn there. If you have your Bible app, you can go ahead and turn there as well. Acts, chapter 3. Let me give you a little bit of background of where we are. We're three chapters into the book of Acts. At the beginning, Jesus had told his disciples to gather in Jerusalem and wait for the promise that would come, that there was going to be something brand new that was coming. And Jesus, in fact, said, before the new can come, I have to go. And Jesus ascended to the Father. When he returned to the Father, the Spirit was poured out here on earth in a brand new way, in a way that had never been before on planet earth in the lives of men and women. And so what happened there in the book of Acts chapter 2, the Spirit came rushing in. And it says that it was, as it were, a rushing mighty wind. And it filled these disciples in those early days. And they began to speak, as the song said, with tongues of fire. They began to speak in other languages, actual languages of those who had gathered in Jerusalem. And they began to proclaim the wonderful works of God. And others heard them. And they marveled that they were hearing the works of God in their own language. And the Bible goes on in Acts chapter 2, it says that many signs and wonders were done through the apostles, these men who were now filled with the Spirit, who had something that no one had had before like that on planet Earth, and you and I are still living in that period. And for all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit, the essence, the power of God Himself comes to dwell in you. You may not understand the fullness of what that means. You may not be walking in the fullness of what that means. But here at Vertical Church, our goal is to help every follower of Jesus Christ understand what it means to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Amen? So as we continue our series here, we're looking at what it means to not only just be the fresh start of God here on planet Earth, but to live in that. To not just make once a year fresh starts, but to live in a moment-by-moment, day-to-day, fresh start awareness that God is at work in your life. He is active. He is present. He is powerful. He is changing you. He is making all things new. Amen? So Acts chapter 3, we see these signs and wonders that the disciples were doing. We're seeing something miraculous. And let me just go ahead and give you a, a Um, a description up front. The story today is about something miraculous. It's the time when the Spirit's poured out and miracles are happening, and a man that has a physical problem is going to be healed. He will no longer be what he physically was before. Now, I know in our culture today, there's a lot of talk about physical healing. I think we can be clear from Scripture with this truth. Physical healing is amazing, but it is only a symbol and picture of a greater healing that God longs to do in us, the healing that happens in our heart. 
You see, when a blind man was made to be able to see, that wasn't the end of the story. It was simply a picture that God longs to have our spiritual eyes opened to the wonders and the glory of who he is. Amen? So when someone is made whole who once could not walk, it is a picture of something even greater of someone who has not been able to walk in the presence of God, walk in the peace of God, walk in the love of God, walk in the forgiveness of God. And a picture of someone who's able to now walk is simply a a picture of an even greater glory of someone walking in the wonder and the glory and the fullness of God. Amen? Are you with me? Miracles that happened physically were just pictures of the even greater miracles because it is a greater miracle for someone who has been bitter, angry, resentful, jealous, discouraged, depressed, insecure, addicted. It is a greater power for someone like that to be set free and walk in the Spirit than for someone to have their eyes open for the first time physically and see. Amen? It's true. You know what I'm talking about because you've got people in your family you've tried to talk to about the gospel. You've tried to talk to them about church. You've tried to talk to them about God, and they are totally resistant to it, right? You know what I'm talking about. That is, it's a miracle when that kind of heart gets opened. It's a miracle when someone that's been blind all of a sudden sees. So the miracle we're going to see today in Scripture is a picture. It is a, it's a picture of a greater reality of something that God wants to do in all of our lives. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Here we go. Here's the story. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. We're in Jerusalem. Peter and John are part of this disciple group who have trusted Jesus Christ and are following him and are preaching his message. They've been filled with the Spirit, and they are empowered in a way they've never been before. They go back to the temple to pray And they don't go back to the temple to offer a sacrifice because the Lamb of God has come and offered himself as a sacrifice once and for all for the sins of men. There's no need to go back to the temple to offer a sacrifice. There's no need to go back to the temple to see the high priest because Jesus has become the great high priest. There's no need to go to the temple itself even to experience the presence of God because Peter and John have realized and come to understand they are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? But the Bible says they go back to the temple. They go there. It's for the time of prayer. Peter and John go back because they've got some brethren they've got to tell about Jesus. They want to go pray for their nation. They want to go back to the temple to pray because they've got some other folks there who are still blinded to the reality of Jesus. They've got some other folks there who are still caught up in their own ways. They're trying to keep the law. They're trying to be good enough. They're trying to somehow measure up in their own way. They don't realize that Jesus has come and made a way for them to have life. So Peter and John go to pray. Verse 2. It says, And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms for those from those who entered the temple peter and john headed to the temple and we meet in the story a man a man who is lame this is a man who has who is not able to walk His legs do not function. And the Bible's clear. It's been this way from his mother's womb. Ever since he was born, this has been the case. We don't know what happened. We just know that from birth, he has not been able to walk. Can you imagine? Everywhere you went, someone carried you. You could not go anywhere on your own. You couldn't say, I think I'm going to go down the street to visit a friend. I think I'm just going to go down to the market. I think I'm just going to go into the kitchen. You couldn't do any of that without someone helping you or without laboring through a process of trying to get there on your own. A very painful process. A certain man. It's a man God's chosen this moment for. A certain man. He's been lame from birth. He's been carried. And it says they, they would lay him daily at the gate of the temple. Now that's a very um, 
Smart move if you're looking to get some alms, some compassionate offering. If you're looking for someone to give something to you, then the most strategic place you'd want to be placed was at the gate into the temple. Because people are going to the temple, and they're going there with a sense of kind of God focus already, a kind of a I want to give something focus already. And so as they're entering, they're filled with a sense of awareness of God, maybe some sense of awareness of compassion, and they meet this man on the way, and it's the most strategic place you could be placed if you wanted to receive some compassion and offering. And he's placed there in this most strategic place, the beautiful gate, this entrance into the temple, and it's a beautiful, truly is a beautiful gate. It wasn't just a name, it was a description as well, because this gate was massive in size. It was very ornate. It was the main entrance into the temple area, and it had gold, cut stone. And so large were the gates that it said that 20 men is what it took to move these massive gates and to open and close them. And this man has been placed there. He's never been able to work on his own. He's never been able to receive and provide for his own. He's always had to be provided for. He's always known this place of dependence, and he's most of his life known the place of a beggar. He had to beg for what income he had to take care of his needs. Begging, a desperate situation. He would have been a man that was not allowed inside the temple because of his problem, because he was lame. So he's positioned there outside this gate. And it goes on in verse 3, and it says this, This man who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Now, it would have been just commonplace for this man to be positioned there on the ground, and, and the crowds are moving by. They're heading on into the temple through these beautiful gates, and he's there, and he would have been positioned with his hand out, looking for alms, for someone to give. He probably was crying out to everybody that passed by. And the Bible says here that he saw Peter and John. We don't know that he knows anything about them, but the fact is he sees them and he directs his attention to them. He asks for alms from them. It's what you do if you're lame. It's what you do if you're a beggar and they're dependent. This man is asking for alms. It goes on in verse 4 and it says this, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. Hmm, the story gets interesting. People are passing by. They're passing by. The man's got his hand out. We don't know how much is being given, if anything is being given. But as Peter and John are making their way, it says that Peter and John fixed their eyes on him. There may have been other people gathered there. There may have been other people asking for alms. But all of a sudden, in this moment, Peter and John turn, and they see this man, and their eyes lock. They turn their attention on this man that is in desperate need, and they're fixed on him. And they don't turn their eyes away. And they say to him, look at us. Look at us. Now, why would you have to tell someone to look at you? Because their eyes were not looking at you. That's some deep insight right there, right? This man most likely had the pattern, sitting, waiting, asking, no response, asking, no response, asking. So this man just has this all day long. He just keeps asking and keeps looking. We got that he had looked at Peter and John, but his eyes must have drifted off. He must have moved on to someone else and some other people in the crowd. He must have moved on with some other sense of expectation of someone else. And Peter and John had to say when they locked eyes on him, they had to say, look at us. Stop what you're doing. Don't look anywhere else. I need you to look right at us. I don't need you to be distracted anymore. I don't want you to be looking at anybody else anymore. I don't want you to be looking at the next person or the one who's gone before or the three others in the crowd or the ten others that are about to come. I don't want you to be looking at anybody else. I want you to look at us. Look at us. Focus. Focus. We have a new puppy at our house. <sighs> Heather's taking it to a little bit of training. 
Guess what one of the very first things they learned in their first session? Focus. So Heather came home excited to say, look what Callie can do. Callie, sit. She sat. Callie, this is what Heather did. Focus. And Callie went, and she just locked her eyes on her. And she just kept looking at her. As long as Heather was doing focus, she just kept looking at her. Now, that went on for about 10 seconds, and then Callie heard something, and she's, she's off, you know. Heather said, focus. She was right back on her eyes. And Heather said, this is part of the training. We have to train her to focus because there's so many other things going on. At our house, there's usually a lot going on. There's cats walking through the room. There's people, the TV's on, music's playing, stuff. People are doing all kind of stuff there. And there's a lot to be distracted by. So she has to be trained to focus. And Heather said, I'm going to keep working with her on this. We have to get up to how long? 20 seconds. It's a long time for a puppy. That's probably a long time for some of us. <laughs> right? 20 seconds to look her right in the eye and not move away. And so the, the plan goes like this. Focus. And she doesn't have to keep saying, focus, 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 focus. She, she just will say it once. Focus. And she looks. After 20 seconds, Heather says, release. And then she gives her a little treat. Yeah. And she's done. She learns, she's learning that lesson to focus. It's important because you're not going to train a dog to do anything else if they can't focus on the master. If they can't focus on you and what you want to say to them, what you have for them to do, they can't do anything else. You've got to learn to focus. And so Peter and John start right here to this man who's in need, and they say to him, focus. You know, really, that's what God calls us to do first. That if, if you want to hear more, if you want to know more, grow more, do more, you've got to learn to focus. You've got to learn to fix your eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith, it says in the book of Hebrews, right? You've got to learn to set your eyes and, and focus and, and, and keep your eyes there no matter what's happening here. But, but Lord, the, the waves are coming out, focus, right, Peter? So Peter kind of knew something about this moment. Look at us. Don't, don't turn away. Don't look at anybody else. For you and I, this is, a, this is a focus time right here. I'm not looking for you to necessarily be focused on me. I'm looking for you to be focused on God this morning. I just happen to be the spokesman at this part in the service. But what we, what we teach and train here for children, students, and adults, fix your eyes on Jesus Keep your focus on him. Stop looking at the storms. Stop looking at your wife. Stop looking at your husband, thinking about what they ought to be doing, how come they're not focused. Stop looking at my financial situation, my, my health situation. Focus, focus. Get your eyes back on Jesus in this moment. Don't get distracted. Don't, don't worry about who's sitting next to you. Don't worry about the rest of your family in this moment. Focus. See what God has to say to you. It's what Peter and John said to this man who was in a desperate situation. Focus. Look at us. Verse 5. So he gave them his attention. Good boy. Treat. Good job. You gave them your attention. Here's what. He was expecting to receive something from them. Hmm. There's some good and bad in this. You know, that's, the puppy is expecting to receive something from the focus. He's looking for the treat in Heather's fingers. And so sometimes she'll do it without a treat there. And he's like, and there's nothing. Sometimes it's necessary just to obey God for what he says, even if you don't get a little treat afterwards. Amen? So he gave them his attention. And he was expecting to receive something. You see, the usual fare was people walk by, you might have caught eyes, and then you got a gift. And so this man is expecting, hey, I just, I did what they said. I locked eyes with them, and he's expecting to receive something from them. He's in a good place, and then he's expecting to receive something. That's what we do when we come here by faith, amen. 
We expect God to say something to us. But for this man, all that he was really expecting was some money. He kind of thought that was what would make his situation better. If I could just get a little money, then things would be better today. If I could just get a little money for a meal, that would be helpful today. If I could just get a little offering, or just a little alm, if you could just toss something to me, that would be what I need. At least that's what he thought he needed. He had expectation. It was small expectation. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, this man is about to receive something that he wasn't expecting. He was expecting to get a little money. He was expecting to get a little offering. He was expecting to get something that would help him make it through the day. But Peter had something much bigger for him. Peter said, it's not money that I have. But what I do have is of so much greater value. What I do have has the power to change you, not just in this moment, but for the rest of your life. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you something, but you're going to have to receive it. You're going to have to own it. You're going to have to focus, and then you're going to have to believe and receive it. And he says, here it is. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the one who came here as the king of eternity, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the one who humbled himself and came in the form of a servant, In the name of Jesus Christ, the one who performed miracles, the one who raised the dead, the one who spoke life to those who were blind, deaf, and in need, in the name of the one who came to be the final sacrifice for sin, in the name of the one who was crucified for our sin, even though he had done nothing wrong, in the name of the one who was placed in a tomb, a borrowed tomb, in the name of the one who stayed in that tomb for three days. In the name of the one who on the third day rose again from the dead. In the name of the one who defeated death. In the name of the one who defeated the grave. In the name of the one who made the payment for sin. In the name of the one who opened the way for us to enter into heaven. He says, in this name, I got something to say to you. I got authority. I have power. I'm in the name of, and I speak, and here's what I'm going to give to you. I want you to do something you've never, ever done before. I'm going to give you something that will produce in you something you've never experienced. I want you to rise up and walk. This man had never, ever known what that was like. He didn't have the strength. His legs were weak. He didn't even have the motor skills to know what it was like to put one foot in front of the other. He had no concept of what it meant to stand up and balance yourself. He had no idea of what it meant to move on your own through a space. He only knew what it was like to be carried. And Peter gives him something he'd never had before. He told him to rise up and walk. Verse 7 says this, that he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Peter spoke to him, and Peter reached out his hand. And this man reached up with his hand, and they locked hands. And it says that Peter pulled him up. He pulled him up to do something he had never done before, stand. He had never stood like this says in the passage, I want you to notice this, he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Order in scripture is always very important. God puts it that way for a reason. I want you to notice carefully the order here. It does not say, and the man received strength And then Peter reached down and pulled him up, and he stood. Instead, it says that Peter reached down with his right hand, pulled him up. He lifted him up. In other words, the man didn't have the strength yet 
because Peter is lifting him up. Peter's using his strength, and it says then when he is up, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. He didn't get the strength until he acted by faith and took Peter's hand. Then, when he was up, blood flow started. Strength filled him. Life coursed where it had never coursed before. And the man experienced something he had never experienced before. He didn't say, now, wait, 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 sir. I've never walked before. I, I've never stood before. You don't, 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 don't pull me up. Don't pull me up. No, 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 don't, don't, don't say that. I, I never walked before. I've never, never walked before. You can't do this. I've been lame. No, no, don't pull me up. Don't pull me up. No, the man believed the disciples. He believed that God was speaking to him. He was so confident in it that he stood up and did something he had never done before, and he then received his strength. Are you making some application right now in your head? Yeah? Let, let, me, let me join you in that process. You see, I know sometimes people hurt us, right? Everybody in here has been hurt by somebody. Yes? Thank you. Make sure I wasn't alone. And you read the scriptures and it talks about forgiveness and I know what goes on in our head. I know we start thinking, God, I don't, I don't know how in the world I could forgive them. You, you don't even know what they've done to me, God, but you probably do. But man, it really is hard. I don't know how I could ever forgive them. I, I mean, I could say the words, but I, just, I can't forgive them because I think about all that's out there and all they've done and all that would be in our future if we did this. And if I said I forgive you, I just don't think I could do all of that, God. I'm going to tell you what. You're not going to find the strength for tomorrow's forgiveness until you act on the step to take it today and forgive the person. You don't get tomorrow's strength until you take step in today's obedience. Ooh. You got somebody difficult to love in your life. They might be sitting near you. And they sometimes just rub you the wrong way. And it's difficult to love them because they're so different. And you say, I just don't know how I could love them. I just don't know about this future. I'm going to tell you what. The strength you need to love for the future arrives when you choose to obey today. Then you get your strength. Then the blood flow starts. Then you get the strength to do more. But you've got to take the first step. And today, as 21st century Americans, people who are filled with um, analysis, we like to analyze situations. We like to analyze people. Well, I'll tell you, if you get in too much analysis, it will lead to greater paralysis. It'll paralyze you in the moment, and you won't be able to do anything. You won't be able to move forward. You won't be able to find the strength to forgive. You won't be able to find the strength to love. You won't be able to find the strength to, to act on what God's told you to do because you're too stuck in trying to figure it all out in your own strength. You're trying to figure out, well, what does this mean next Tuesday when I see them? Well, how will I handle this two weeks from now? What about that family reunion when I have to see them again? You, you're too stuck on analyzing the situation. What am I going to do about this? What are they going to do about this? What is this person going to think? You're getting all paralyzed by the analysis again. You've got to stop and do exactly what Jesus asked you to do. And if he asks you to forgive today, you take the step to forgive today. And when you do, you'll find strength to forgive again tomorrow. This man, this man chose to believe and he grabbed Peter's hand and then the strength came. Well, I don't know how I'm going to overcome this habit, God. I mean, I've got into this thing that I'm doing, and it's, it's unhealthy. i got to get past it, and I don't know how I'm going to beat this thing next week and two weeks from now and three months from now. You're getting stuck in the, the, the analysis again. You're getting paralyzed. You're going to have to do what he says to do today. You surrender today. You yield today. You repent today, and then you'll find strength. This man didn't let... His past limitations 
stop him from obeying, and he didn't let his future fears stop him from obeying. He reached up, and he grabbed Peter's hand, and he stood up because he heard the words, rise up and walk. Verse 8. This man didn't just stand. Verse 8, it says, so he, leaping up, somewhere between down on the ground and a hand to Peter's right hand, Somewhere between that moment of pulling up strength and blood flowing, strength going to this man's ankle bones, all of a sudden now, the Bible says he leaped up. He got strength between down here and up here because he chose to obey the one who's up there. Amen. And he leaped up, and then he stood up, and then he walked up. You see, it says he went and entered the temple. You had to go up some steps to get up into the temple. And this man had never, ever been in there before. He'd never been into the holy place. He'd never experienced that before. And they walk up together, leaped up, stood up, walked up, and went right on in. Woo! This man did something he had never done before because he was willing to believe what God was saying to him. And he got on in there, and then things got all crazy. Somebody started playing some funky music, and he's walking, and he's leaping and praising God. You can leave that funky music part out. I just added that. That's what I'd want if I was going in. <clears throat> this man, he goes from paralyzed to strength to walking to running to leaping, and he's praising God. He's all of a sudden shouting. He's all of a sudden giving Jesus glory about it. He's all of a sudden just lit up because you see what was really happening here wasn't just that this man was made to physically walk again. This man was experiencing God in a way he never had before. If you were paralyzed back in this day, you know what you probably got most of the time from other people? Hey, I wonder what sin he committed that made him be paralyzed. I wonder what this guy got caught up in that caused this to happen. Oh, he was a baby, so it couldn't have been him. Oh, well, it must have been the sins of his parents' sin. They must have sinned some God-awful sin, and it caused him to be paralyzed all of his life. You see, he's under a curse. You see, that's what they would have heard. That's what he would have heard in his day, that he was under some curse because of this paralysis. And he wouldn't have known what it was like to feel the love of God to feel the compassion of God. He would have lived with a, a weight, guilt, shame, fear. He might have even resented all these people that are walking by as they're going on into the temple with all their money and all their walking that he didn't have. But in this moment, something changed. Something came alive in him. And it wasn't, just, it wasn't just the ability to walk physically. It was the ability to walk in knowing God is for me. God loves me. God has a purpose for my life. He's good. He's going to work good things in my life. You see, when you choose to obey what Jesus says, you find strength to do what you've never, ever done before. You might say about your life, you know, I grew up in a home where my dad was gone all the time. When he did come home, he wasn't very kind to me. He was angry. He was usually drunk. And I don't know what it means to have a loving father. And so you might say, therefore, I find it difficult to know how to love like a, a good father because I never had that. I didn't have it in my dad. I didn't have it in my granddad. I didn't have it in men in my life. And I don't even know how to do that. And you've used that as an excuse. You've used that to justify the kind of dad you've been to your own kids. And the truth of this story says to you, sir, don't let 
what you've been through in the past stop you from being what God has for you in the future. Don't let your future fears block you here. Don't let analysis cause paralysis in you because you've been given a heavenly father who can fill you with love you've never known before and equip you to do things you've never done before. Amen? He can make you a loving father. He can make you be able to change your priorities. He can cause you to be able to love your children. He can cause you to be able to love your wife, even though you never saw a godly example of, of a husband who laid down his life for his wife. Ladies, maybe the same is true for you. You'd say, well, I, I've never seen a, a real godly example of a, a woman who prays for a husband, who is kind, who, who speaks respectfully to him, who honors him, who, who, who lifts him up in front of the children. I've never seen that before. And so you've used that to justify your own actions, your own resentment, your own bitterness, your own negative talk about your husband in front of others and to your children. And you say, I've never known that before. Well, guess what? Just because you've never experienced it doesn't mean you can't have it because when Jesus speaks to you, he can give you the ability to love like you've never loved before. This man had never, ever, ever, ever walked before. But yet he was up. He was standing. He was walking. He was leaping. You might say, well, I've never known what it's like to be a good Christian. I've never known what it means to walk with God. I don't even know how to do all that stuff. I understand you may not have had someone to guide you in that path, but I'm going to tell you what, there is one who can guide you now. And he waits for you just to surrender to him. And he'll give you all the strength that you need when you'll take the first step, grab his hand, and pull up and be healed by him. Amen? Amen. Don't, don't let your past disqualify you. Don't let your analysis of the future paralyze you. Let your faith in what he says give you strength to stand. Verse 9, it goes on, it says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Verse 10, Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They all knew this man. They had seen this man, and he was completely different. He was doing something he had never done before. When Jesus does a work in your life, that's what will happen. You'll start being kind like you haven't been kind before. You'll start being honest like you haven't been honest before. You'll start living righteously like you haven't been righteous before. You'll start seeking reconciliation like you haven't before. You'll start loving in relationships like you haven't before. And people will see it and say, wow, I knew that guy before. He's not at all like he used to be. I know that woman. That is not at all what she used to be. There's something different about her. Jesus was doing a work. What's interesting as the passage goes on, we're not going to read the whole passage, verses 11 through 18. It says that Peter stood up in this moment because people started gathering around saying, hey, it's Peter and John, man. They're the ones who did this. Peter and John, they caused this man to be healed. Peter and John, they've got the power. They're the ones who are healing this man. And Peter says, hold up, hold up, hold up. Verse 11 through 18, I'm going to shorten the message down for you. Peter says, now wait, don't look at us as though we're the ones that have the power. The power for this man to be healed came from God. And it came through his son, Jesus Christ, who lived here among you. In fact, you were the ones who crucified him, but he rose again on the third day and ascended back to the Father. And his spirit's alive and working in this man today. And they are all in awe. All of a sudden, their eyes are open, their ears are open, and they're hearing. And they're stunned. Wait a minute. He's right. Jesus did come here. We did crucify him. He was God's son. Look at this man. We know he was lame. We know he's never walked. And now he's doing things he never did before. We believe. And Peter uses this moment. He uses this man as an illustration. Because when God does a work in your life, watch this. It's always for more than just you. It's not about you. It's about something so much more. And Peter, in speaking, says this in verse 19. Verse 16 first. Faith in his name has made this man strong. Yes, the faith 
which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter said, this man who just received life back into his legs, this man that you know was lame and now walks, he's just a picture. It's just a, a picture of something greater that God wants to do. And that work is the work in your heart to breathe life into you. These words here for times of refreshing, refreshing, it's actually the word that means breath. He says, repent, change your ways, admit your error, cry out to God, confess your sins. Because when your sins are blotted out and you're connected with God, times of new breath will come, refreshing will come. You may be at a point in your marriage where you think, my marriage is lame. And you don't mean that in a joking way. You mean it can't walk. It's not that it's just lame. You know what I mean. It means it's not walking. It's not breathing. It's not moving. It is stuck in paralysis. You might say, it's not any different today than it was 20 years ago. We're stuck in the same arguments, the same problems, the same points of conflict, the same frustrations. And you think, I don't know if this thing is ever going to walk. I'm going to tell you, the gospel of Jesus Christ says I don't care how long you've been lame. I don't care how long it hadn't walked. I don't care how long it's been since you felt any movement. I don't care how long it's been. When you will repent and when you will seek the Lord, times of refreshing will come. New life will be breathed. New hope will come into your marriage. It might be true for you personally. You might say, man, I, my life is the one that's stuck in paralysis. I've been going through the motions, but I, it's just, I'm stuck. I can't move forward in my faith. I'm not moving forward in my relationships. I'm just, I still go to work, do the exact same thing day after day, and I'm frustrated, and I'm angry, and I feel like a shell, and I go home, and I, I lay my head on my pillow, and I'm just, I'm just miserable. I don't care where you are, sir or ma'am, student or child. What has been lame can be made new in Jesus Christ. But it requires repentance, change, a step that says, I'm not going to stay here on the ground any longer. I hear God's word and I am going to stand. I'm not going to be kept down any longer. I'm not going to be beat down by my paralysis. I'm going to stand up at God's word and believe that Jesus died for me. I'm going to stand up at God's word and believe that I'm forgiven. I'm going to stand up at God's word. I'm going to walk in righteousness from this point forward. And I'm making some big changes in my life. I'm going to stop going to some places. I'm going to stop doing some things. And I'm going to start doing some things in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's when times of refreshing come. Three quick points, and then we're going to respond to God. The first one is this. What God has for you is bigger than what you think you need today. This man thought that what he needed was a little bit of money. You might think if you just had a little bit more money to take care of the bill situation, 
or if you just had a little vacation to take care of the stress situation, or if you could just get some relief from this one situation, then maybe it would, it would bring some relief to your life. I'm going to promise you today that what God has for you is so much bigger than what you think you need that if you're not careful, you'll miss it. This man almost missed it because they had to say to him, look at us. Stop looking at other things. Stop losing your focus. Focus. God has more for you than you even can imagine today. He wants to cause you to walk in some new ways. Cause your marriage to walk in some new ways. Cause your family to walk in some new ways. Cause you to walk in some new purposes in your life. But you're going to have to focus. Point number two. Jesus awakens life where there has never been life before. Do not be limited by what you can figure out. Do not be limited by what, what you think is going to happen. You have a heart that says, okay, God, I've never walked before, but I'll gladly take a man's hand and pull up and see what happens because I believe you. It was by faith that this man stood up. And you want to see some change come to your life? It'll come when you choose by faith to believe what God says. And stop trying to figure it all out on yourself. Stop trying to figure it all out in your own analysis. And you decide to say, God, I will trust you. All faith on you. My hand in your hand. I've never, ever done this before. I've never forgiven. I've never accepted. I've never loved. I've never been able to walk righteously. I've never done this before. But I hear you telling me to rise up and walk. And so I will. Last point. The power of God comes alive in you when you take the first step. It's then that his strength came when he chose to believe and step. You want that healing to come? You want that change to come in your relationships, in your mind, your heart, your perspective, your hurts, whatever it might be. When Jesus says, here's what I've got for you to do, do this. Don't analyze it. It'll only paralyze you. If he says to you, I want you to go to this person and ask forgiveness, you just do that. You go in that moment and you do that. If he says to you, I want you to go and tell this person that you're for them because you haven't been, then you do that. If he says to you, I want you to totally restructure your, your finances so that you can put me first in them, you do that thing. Say, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't, it don't matter. Start. Take the step. Maybe you need to express commitment to your spouse because they're a little uncertain. You've been uncertain, too, about your future, your marriage. And God's saying to you, today, what I want you to do is to tell your spouse, I'm committed to you. I'm, I'm in this for the long game. I will never leave you or forsake you. So well, what, what does that mean, though? I mean, what if, what, if, what if this happens next? Or what if this, it doesn't matter what what ifs are out there. You take the step that God says for you to take, and then you'll get strength for tomorrow. The people of God learn how to walk in this. They learn how to submit in this. They stop thinking their way through life, and they start faithing their way right up into the presence of God. Amen. And the thing about a fresh start, it really does happen in proportion to the belief. You see, if I choose today to say, God, I'm going to follow you, trust you, believe you, even in the areas of my life where it seems difficult today, I will rise up and walk in it. Then there will be a measure of blessing that will come to me. If I say that here to me, or I say it to God, just me, blessing comes here, doesn't guarantee it'll come here. But when a couple both say, God, I surrender to you, I trust you, 
And when Heather says, God, I surrender to you, I trust you, and we say that together, we repent and we choose to follow, now look at the blessing. It comes here. Now add to that your children, a family. Add to that one, two, whatever it is. In the proportion of your faith will be the proportion of the blessing. Are you with me? I can do it and be blessed. We can do it. More blessing. Our family can be committed. Greater blessing. You can have a seat. Thank you, babe. And when a church stands together, woo, watch out. Because now you look at the multiplied faith, the multiplied surrender, the multiplied repentance and trusting and times of refreshing, and when a church family as a whole says that, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's what I'm looking for. I want us to be that church, that we stand with such great faith, we stand with such great confidence, such ready repentance, and such ready trust that we stand together as a people and say, God, we repent of doing our own thing having our own priorities, walking in our own ways. And we ask you to forgive us. And now we trust you. God will pour out times of refreshing when that happens. And then a fresh start happens. Amen? Amen. All right, let's respond to God today. Why don't you stand with me? For our response time today, I'd like to uh, give you some options. You always have options. I want you to follow whatever God has to say to you, but this morning you might say, I need to focus, I need to pray. I really need to get my focus, me and God. For this response time, if that's what he's calling you to do, do that. It might be that you and your spouse say, you know what, we're going to pray. We're going to take these next few moments and we're going to pray. We're going to pour our hearts out together because we want to follow after Christ. Maybe you've got extended family. Maybe you've got some friends around you and you say, that's what I want to do. I want to gather with my friends. Maybe there's someone you need to go to to reconcile, to work some things out because God's spoken to you. This response time gives us the responsibility and the freedom to do that. So, those are options. We'll also have our counselors here available. If you need someone to to come to to pray with, maybe a commitment you need to make. Maybe you say, I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've been playing with this thing, and I'm ready to make my commitment. Maybe you say, I need to be baptized. I've made a commitment, but I haven't made a public statement that says to others, I'm in. And you want to do that. This is your time. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, during this time, we come to respond to you.